What's up, guys? Welcome to the View from the Front podcast, a fast-moving, fun, military defense news podcast. For those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and journalist. Every week, I primarily do three things. First, I work to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, while also trying to better educate Americans about looming hotspots and foreign policy news you absolutely should know. Second, I attempt to unite our country and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. Our division and animosity toward each other is dangerous, and I want to do my small part to remind us that more unites us than divides us, and that most Americans are good and not screaming crazy extremists like you see on the news all the time. Finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to do my small part to help encourage you and lift you up. Life is certainly hard, and I think it's fair to say all of us need all the motivation and encouragement that we can possibly get. Every Thursday, I produce this podcast, so if you haven't signed up yet, I'd appreciate if you did. All episodes are ad-free, and it's completely free to sign up and join the email list, or you can help sustain and support the show for $5 per month. Subscribing will also get you the View from the Front Extended, which is a daily newsletter that I put out Monday through Friday each day, usually in the morning. You can find out how to subscribe from my Substack page, which is stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the March 23rd edition of The View from the Front. We're really glad to have you here. Uh, we'll be covering a lot of things in this episode, including plenty on Ukraine and Russia and their war that's happening right now. Got quite a bit on China, what's going on between China and Russia. And then we've got some other news that I'll manage to slip in toward the end. We got some tech news as well that's pretty cool. And then we, as always, will end with plenty of uh, motivation and wisdom. So we begin with the news regarding the Russian and Ukraine war that is uh, going on. And as I looked at all the stuff that's happened since last Thursday when you guys last heard my voice, I was trying to figure out, oh, what's the most important? Let's try to arrange all this. And honestly, it's just a lot has happened, and it's hard to decide what is the correct order to present this various info. And so after looking at it, pulling my hair out a bit, and figuring out that even if I did decide I might be wrong... And listeners may say, well, that, I don't know if that was the most important thing. Maybe it should have been this. Or I just realized, you know, a lot's happened since last Thursday. We're just going to cover it. So I can't tell you what's the most important or what's not. I'm just going to share all of the things that have happened since last Thursday. And uh, there's been quite a few things happen. So we're just going to get straight into it. As a reminder from the last episode that we really covered the uh, Russia had downed a U.S drone that was operating in international waters in the Black Sea, and there were some consequences from that pretty quickly. Uh, first thing is that Poland announced just within days of that happening that they expedited their decision to transfer four MiG fighter jets to Ukraine, and they are the first NATO country to do so. That does seem to be a definite thing, and it's going to happen, so that was definitely the first consequence of that drone being downed in international uh, airspace. In addition to those MiGs from Poland, we talked about a couple of weeks ago the small country of Slovakia sending some of their MiGs over. 
somewhere between 10 to 12 to 13. The numbers weren't real clear at the time because this is an operator, an aircraft that hasn't been operational with them since their Russian technical advisors left years ago. So they were going to donate one to a museum, and we kind of went into some of the weeds on that. But essentially, it looks like by scraping together the various parts and getting a better handle on exactly what they have, they will be able to donate 13 MiGs. So you've got four from Poland, 13 from Slovakia. All of that should be happening relatively soon. And since the initial news that four were coming from Poland, reporters kept kind of talking and digging, and it looks like a total of about 20 will come from Poland and then 13 from Slovakia. So that will really provide quite the air power for Ukraine once those jets arrive, and that'll definitely be a pretty serious headache for Russia, like, without question. While we are talking about weapons, this isn't involving fighter jets, but it involves ground vehicles, there was also the news since last Thursday that the United States, the Pentagon announced at least, that the M1A1 tanks that had been agreed to be sent, which weren't going to be able to be sent until next year, for lots of reasons, but they have expedited, and they now expect those tanks to arrive in Ukraine by the fall, and so that'll really, really, um, once those arrive, that's that's going to be a serious, significant threat for the Russians. There aren't a lot of things that can destroy M1A1 tanks, and um, Russia's going to have some serious issues trying to deal with those. A total of uh, 31 of those are supposed to arrive, and so that'll be in the fall. So by then, Russia will have already dealt with Ukraine's spring offensive and Ukraine's increasing air power as those jets arrive and the pilots take them over. And so I think there's a chance that they Russia's going to increasingly feel pressure to seek some type of peace agreement, but countering that, from all the polling that you see, there was a recent poll that was run in Ukraine. The numbers are just still well over 90%, depending on which poll you see, but the most recent one was like 92%. It's basically the same as it's been the entire time. Almost every Ukrainian citizen wants to take back every inch of ground. So they want to take back all of that land in the east in the Donbass region. They want to take back the land in the south in the Crimean Peninsula. There's a big naval base there. And so Russia, as the battle and war begins to shift against them, Russia's not going to want to give up these things. And so they will probably threaten escalation. They don't really have a lot they can do other than literally escalating into some type of like a nuclear weapon. But they're going to they're going to want to end this at least holding on to some of this ground that they've taken and Ukraine is not going to want to leave any of this ground their people don't they've been subjected to just so much so it's going to be an interesting year as that starts to play out now we have to also cover something besides just weapons that happened since the last week and that is the political wins so to speak that for the West and for America, and when I say the West, I mean Europe and NATO, the political winds matter, and they matter a lot. 
because Ukraine is getting most of its military support from the West, as well as much of its uh, financial support. And so, since the last episode, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis came out and he called the fighting in Ukraine a territorial dispute. Now, that caused all kinds of, as you can imagine, um, just a lot of frustration with those who want to support Ukraine. Uh, it was big news because, for one, in the past, he had been a defender of Ukraine. Um, and I'll give you just a few past positions. He, uh, in 2014, when he was a member of Congress, he voted for the Ukraine Support Act, which authorized President Obama to send arms to Ukraine to repel Russia's occupation of Ukraine's Crimean Peninsula. Also in 2015, he said on a radio t uh, radio show that, quote, we in Congress have been urging the president to provide arms to Ukraine. They want to fight their good fight. They're not asking us to fight it for them. So that was 2015. So he votes in 2014. 2015, he makes that statement. And then last year, in the early days of the war, he called on President Biden to get tough with Vladimir Putin. And he said that uh, Putin was... This is a guy who basically is an authoritarian gas station attendant, okay? Hit him where it counts, is what he advised President Biden to do. So, when he, earlier last week, came out and aligned himself with Trump's position, that was pretty big news because you've got the two, basically, leaders of the Republican Party, two leading contenders for president, both coming out and essentially saying they're going to cut off support for Ukraine, that Ukraine's not that important to the U.S. He took some heat for it. He obviously aligned himself to get on the same page with Trump so that he might get those same voters in the Republican primary that's coming up. But he has since then walked all of that back. And I'm not going to, I guess I could beat him up for being wrong or changing or, or showing some weakness or whatnot. But honestly, I'm just glad that he is back where he is, and um, so he has, since since Friday, he's changed his position back to the original position, and he is saying that Putin is a war criminal. He says that it's not just a territorial dispute, which is what he had originally called it, and he is definitely back on the side of arming Ukraine. So, that was a, a lot of info for what is now back to the original position, but it is a huge, it just has huge implications for Ukraine because where the Republican Party goes on this is a is a big deal. And I will say that when he initially spoke out and called it just a territorial dispute, there were a lot of Senate Republicans who pushed back against him and stated that he was wrong about that. So I'm glad that he has moved back to where he originally was and clarified his remarks. So that is uh, that's big news for Ukraine because, as I said, uh, the, the political winds and where they go in the United States are it, it matters for about 40 million Ukrainians, way more than you can possibly know. And again, we're not asking, and I'm not even saying we send American troops or any of that. We're just saying that in 2023, we shouldn't allow countries to just invade their neighbors. And we, again, for those who say we've spent too much, one, we're leveraging this money with money that Europe is also throwing in to help stop a war that could expand. 
But also, much of the stuff that we're sending is older military equipment that, by our value, has very little value. It's not like, you know, we're going to use this stuff. These are older tanks. These are older missiles. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of the missiles and all, they're only good for so many years anyway. So a lot of the artillery, a lot of the stuff we've sent, it's not like it's full value. It's not like it cost us $100 and it's worth $100. No, it's not worth $100. We have newer equipment. We wouldn't send some of this stuff with our own troops out anyway. Same thing with the M1 tanks. We're sending older versions. So we're sending used stuff or dated stuff that has a limited shelf life. So it's not it's not 100 to 100 value. So I always try to throw that comment in because I see people say we've sent X billion and it's like, well, yeah, we have, but it's a lot of that's older equipment and we probably would have decommissioned or destroyed it anyway. So, you know, we got our use out of it. Much of the stuff we're sending, we got our use out of it during Desert Shield 1 back in the 90s or during the second Iraq invasion or in Afghanistan. We've used a lot of the stuff that we are going to be sending. It's older stuff. So just always remember that. If you hear some of your friends railing about how much we're doing or sending a blank check, well, we're not sending a blank check. Now, we are supporting their economy financially, so you can make an argument for that. But it's just don't let don't let people paint with brush broad brush strokes because it's not completely accurate. While we are on the subject of politics slash political leaders, I'm also throwing in the Substack notes a video that um, it's about three minutes, three minutes fifty seconds long. But it's a video of the Ukrainian president Zelensky visiting Ukrainian troops in the Bakhmut area, literally. So this. The president of Ukraine goes to the front lines again. He's done this so many times. And it is just, it's hard to explain the video, but it is so moving and inspiring. He gives he goes there to visit the troops to give out some awards. But you see these troops who have frozen through the entire winter, you know, four, five, six months on the front line, you see the hollowed eyes. You see men and women. There are women there. You you see just, it is, it's hard to, it's it's almost hard to watch. Uh, they do have a little bit of music in the background. And it is obviously something that's inspiring. And it was meant to be inspiring. But you also, you can't fake hardship. And you can't fake feeling and emotion. And seeing these men and women with him, seeing what they've been through, seeing him almost get choked up as he talks about what they've done. Um, you know, the, these soldiers aren't idiots. They know that they have been tasked with a very, almost in a sacrificial-like position because Ukraine has not been reinforcing a lot of these front lines. They don't have some of the best equipment. These men and women have been asked to hold the line through winter while newer, fresher troops with better equipment train behind the lines so that they can do a spring offensive. And so, in so many ways, these men and women have gotten the short end of the stick, and they've been asked to suffer and freeze through the winter to hold off the mobilization of Russian soldiers who are poorly trained to endure unbelievable amounts of artillery fire 
and they have dealt with all of this through the winter and it is like I said it's hard to describe the video but it's in the source notes if you want to be moved if you want to realize how minor and inconvenient and your small little things going on in life are you watch this video and you will see real emotion and you will see real I don't know it's like I said it's hard to hard to explain uh, you know they say a picture says a a thousand words so this video says a lot more than I can put into words but it's definitely worth watching if you got just a few minutes it's in the source notes you can get there for free so go take a look at it if you have a couple of moments now as I cover these final topics for what's happening in Russia and Ukraine you're probably thinking why haven't you talked about the visit from the Chinese leader and I'm going to cover that but I will do that under the China news section so as I cover these final things don't don't sweat it we're gonna get there so one other thing that I definitely wanted to cover is we talked a lot in previous months about how the Russians had been using Iranian drones to attack Ukraine's energy system and that was a big news a month or two ago as it was in the middle of the winter and the Ukrainians were starting to lose that battle so to speak they were unable to find replacement infrastructure parts for some of these electrical grids the West was trying to scramble but most of Ukraine's power system was you know powered by Russian slash Soviet era top electrical components which most in Europe and the West don't use so they were trying to find ways to get transformers and various parts and we covered some of that as you all remember and the West was scrambling to try to figure out how do we stop these drones you know he's gonna knock out all the power and Ukraine will not not only be cold through the winter but they won't be able to have internet and their economy will be further hit and so the West was trying to get more anti-air systems there but since all of that fear a great thing has happened and that is that not only has their anti-air systems gotten better which is great news but they have managed to get to where they're able to repair the Ukrainian energy system faster than it can be destroyed which is they were on the losing end of that for a bit but the great news is is they've made it through most of winter and they have gotten to where they can replace most of the parts and fix it faster than the Russians can destroy it now like I said two things are helping here one is that they've they've just gotten better at cannibalizing their parts and we've the West we when I say we the West has sent some of the best experts on the grids that there is out there so some of the best brains are working to try to keep this thing patched together so this is all great news and there was an article in the economist about it but it mentions one thing that I think we all it's easy to forget this now but it's the economist says it so well and it talks about the tenacity of the energy planners and those working on it but it said Ukraine is winning a battle on this energy grid in which few had expected it to prevail so that's huge uh, you guys probably heard the concern and fear in my voice when I talked about it months ago as Russia had kind of found this Achilles heel and so they thought they would batter Ukraine into submission and as I, the more I read on it the more worried I got because I realized that it wasn't as simple as just sending over 
Western Transformers and, you know, huge electrical parts. I remember in one episode, I think we went into the weeds on some of that stuff. And a lot of this stuff, these substations, these massive multi-ton things that Ukraine would need, they don't, they're not just sitting out there because it's not like there's a Home Depot. You can go buy some of these massive things. Generally, these are planned purchases, so countries in the West... They don't, they don't make a lot of these things, the companies that sell them. And you order them and you expect them to come in six months or a year. It's just, there just weren't a lot of these parts and, and items laying around. So, huge news, I think, that essentially it appears Ukraine is coming through this winter and winning a battle that few expected it to prevail in. Alright, so I'm going to cover one last item as far as Russia-Ukraine news. And this is the much-discussed potential spring offensive that is being planned by Ukraine. And Politico had just a, a heck of a story on that. I'll put the link in the Substack notes. But I thought I'd just read just a couple of paragraphs or so from that. And it starts... U.S. officials are more focused on getting Ukraine ready for a major spring offensive to retake territory, which they begin to ex expect to begin by May. So that's what, about two months off? Hundreds of Western tanks and armored vehicles, including for the first time eight armored vehicles that can launch bridges and allow troops to cross rivers, are en route to Ukraine for the offensive. The U.S. and European partners are also flowing massive amounts of ammunition and 155mm shells, which Ukraine has identified as its most urgent need. U.S. aid packages going back four or five months have been geared toward what Ukraine needs for this counter-offensive, said one U.S. official who was granted anonymity due to the administration's ground rules. While U.S. officials are careful not to... Uh, appear to tell Kiev, which is Ukraine, the capital, Kiev, how to fight the war, Pentagon leaders said Wednesday that the equipment and training being provided will enable Ukraine to win the war where and when it chooses to do so. Now, that last line, will enable Ukraine to win the war where and when it chooses to do so, that is a strong line, and I am a about as optimistic and pro-Ukrainian supporter as you'll find in America, but I, th I think that's almost an overstatement. Although, as people always say, at some point the Russian army could break. It could literally get enough pressure pushed against it in the spring that it just, it breaks. Some of these soldiers aren't being paid. Most of them are conscripts with very little training, and so panic could spread, and it could just absolutely break. But... I've looked at the terrain to try to take the Crimean Peninsula and a few other things, and just, if there's much defense at all, it, these, these are going to be some complicated offensive maneuvers that Ukraine are gonna, is going to have to do. And it's still a massively long front line. Just the size of it is hard to get your arms around. We're talking like Texas size, massively massive front line. So it'll be easy to push through in some places. But it's also just a lot of ground to take, and there's only so many troops, and there's only so many bridge, you know, bridge, uh, bridging equipment, tanks out there. There's just there's a lot of rivers. There's just a lot, and so it's hard for me to see something as strong as what Politico wrote 
but or what U.S. officials are saying, but maybe they see some things that we don't see. We don't know where Ukraine will hit with this spring offensive, and we don't know the real state of the Russian military. But what we also don't know is, you know, will Vladimir Putin, does he sense these things starting to happen, and will he try to, you know, reach out for peace at some point? So, you know, who knows? I hope all of these things, and that's certainly what we're all pulling for, but either way... There will be some type of spring offensive, and it is quickly approaching. I said earlier in the podcast two months, but looking down at my calendar, I realized I'm an idiot that it's actually the 23rd of March, so really we're about a month and a week or so. However, there are spring rains, and as the snow melts and all, there will be some issues with the same mud that helped trap the Russians as they tried to advance toward the capital a year ago. The Ukrainians will have to deal with that as well if they do plan some kind of major offensive, but I'm sure they're calculating and planning all of these things as we speak. So I think that wraps up the news that I wanted to share regarding the war in Ukraine and Russia right now. So we're going to move to the next topic, which is China news. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications It's free to do so unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. There is an additional benefit to subscribing, which is you will get the view from the front extended. That is a daily email Monday through Friday, usually in the mornings, that has just a quick summary of the latest military news happening out there, as well as my thoughts on some things. And again, that only goes out to paid subscribers, and only paid uh, subscribers can comment on it. So hopefully we build up a little bit of a cool community there. People are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner. Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription. You can find out all the details through my Substack page, and you can support through both Substack, Patreon, or Venmo. Again, all those details are on the Substack page. But believe me, you don't have to do any of these things. I've already had incredible support and feel called to do this. So as long as I'm making enough to cover the time I invest each week, I'm not going anywhere. All right, enough of the sales pitch. So let's move to some China news, shall we? And there's been a fair number of things that we probably need to cover since the last edition, which was last Thursday, of course. Uh, The first thing is, as I hinted to earlier, and as you probably saw on the news or in some of the political stuff that you see on a and here on a daily basis, China's leader did uh, travel to Russia to meet with Vladimir Putin and uh, Xi Jinping. Uh, was there for three days, actually, so pretty long meeting. And it's uh, a fair number of things happened. One thing is that uh, kind of an insider in the weeds kind of thing, which is a funny joke you could tell your friend, is on day one when he gets there... Uh, Vladimir Putin did not meet Jinping at the airport because, believe it or not, that's official Russian protocol to not have the head of state meet the other head of state at the Russian airport. In fact, it was talked about that maybe he would as a, you know, a change in protocol to show the leader of China how much Russia cares about it, but he did not. And I jokingly told some friends is that not meeting someone at the airport has got to be more proof that Russians are cold-hearted people, and I, I kid, I'm kidding a little bit, but they sometimes are kind of cold-hearted people. But 
So he was not met at the airport. And they've had their little meetings and all that good stuff. They did a four and a half hour meal, which I don't know about you, but I'm sorry, I will pass. Uh, if I sit at a table for more than two hours, I'm about to lose my mind. But they did have a four and a half hour, seven course meal. And I could tell you what all was on the um, on the menu, but you'd, you'd be bored. So they have been together a lot the past few days. But what's come out of all these meetings is that Russia is the weaker player. And so they've had some little signed agreements and stuff. All of it basically means nothing. But what's increasingly becoming clear is that China is the stronger partner. And eventually they are going to extract further political concessions from Russia because Russia has put itself in a very weak place. Long term, some analysts believe that China is going to want access to uh, Russian Arctic naval bases and that the China will pressure Russia to change its dealings with countries such as India, which is Russia's trying to b- make India a, you know, at least a somewhat ally as India somewhat barters or bounces that off with an alliance with America. But as Russia tries to make inroads there, India is actually a rival of China. And so China will probably start pressuring Russia to change some of its dealings with India. And that's uh, not just me talking. That's a group of experts uh, shared that in a, in a uh, pretty long analysis piece in the Washington Post. I won't get in the weeds on that because I don't think most of you care too, too, too much. But the main thing that's come out is this was further, I guess, elaborated on by the very esteemed analyst David Ignatius in a column in the Washington Post that China is just becoming the dominant partner. And I wanted to share just a bit of what he said. He said, and I'll just read two paragraphs. A strong China is bolstering a weak Russia. That's the real headline that describes the showy meetings in Moscow this week between the two countries' leaders. The Chinese aren't providing weapons yet, but Xi Jinping certainly offered moral and psychological support in what might be described as a get-well visit to an ailing relative. I love that line, a get-well visit to an ailing ailing relative or a sick one. I apologize, I can barely talk. You all know that, though. I'll keep reading. White House spokesman John Kirby on Tuesday rightly called Putin a junior partner. And then I'll read one more paragraph. The paradox of the Ukraine war is that Putin's bid for greater power in Europe has made him weaker. This diminished Russia will fall increasingly under China's sway unless there's an unlikely turn post-Ukraine and a Western-leaning leader replaces Putin. Maybe that's the biggest reason for Xi's fraternal visit. He is bolstering a flank against America and the West. So, really good column by... Uh, again, David Ignatius, and he is right about the basically the power struggle that increasingly is starting to happen between East versus West with China and Russia on one side and America and a bunch of European countries on the other. And the crazy thing is, is how fast this is already happening. I shared in one of my daily newsletters that I've talked about before called The View from the Front Extended that China is already starting to influence and lead former Soviet satellite states. And we 
I guess it's been three or four months ago, some of those Soviet satellite states were, um, like Kazakhstan and a few of the others, uh, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, they had kind of made some tough comments toward Russia. They don't fear Russia like they used to because Russia is mired in a massive war in Ukraine and couldn't really push these people around if they wanted to at this point. Well, what's interesting is China is already starting to increase their influence into these countries that Russia used to have a lot of sway with. And they've actually, uh, Xi Jinping has already invited the leaders of many of these countries to a, quote, the first, quote, China-Central Asia summit. And so, uh, yeah, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, a few of the others, they're already planning a conference that will be led by China. So, big news there. The big news is that China will increasingly dominate Asia as Russia continues to grow weaker. In other news, there was a a decent amount of news lately about the um, sub-agreement that is between the U.S., the United Kingdom, and Australia. And um, there's been a little bit of news on that. It's mostly for show, but I did want to share. There's also been some criticism inside Australia about the deal um, these, these subs are basically going to be used to counter China, but Australia is saying that's not the case. Um, they are saying that the, uh, I'll share part from a story. Defense Minister Richard Marles said Australia's fleet of nuclear powered submarines will help deter a foreign adversary from launching a shipping blockade, which could cut off the country's trading routes from the rest of the world. With 99% of Australia's trade coming from ships, Marles says the nation is very reliant on trade by sea and that needed to be protected. And then further down the article, he said, without naming China or any other country, Marles said the nation needs a capability which would give any adversary pause for thought about disrupting the trading routes to Australia and the way in which we connect to the world. That's... There is some truth to the long-term part of it, which is that Australia has been needing to update its subs since about the 60s, and the sub-technology won't even arrive there until about 2030. So it's not like these subs are going to be planned for a short-term type invasion of Taiwan in about 2027. But then again, maybe some of it could be expedited, and certainly Australia nor any other countries want to antagonize China, so they're not going to name them. But the sub-deal continues to move forward. I did have a reader say, you know, they love the sub-deal, but they've heard that the Taiwan invasion, if it were to happen, would take place in an area that's pretty much um, where subs can't operate due to the shallow depths. And I did some research on it, and so... It is true that the strait that is between Taiwan and China, that small amount of water, it's about 100 miles uh, wide. I don't think it's about putting subs in there. It's about having platforms that can launch Tomahawk cruise missiles. Those cruise missiles have a range of 1,300 plus miles, and the subs are a platform that's not easily destroyed by China's ballistic missiles or their air force because the subs are almost undetectable. They're just unbelievably quiet. So it's about having that weapon system that doesn't have to be on land on some island nearby. It doesn't have to be in a big naval convoy that the Chinese could attack with large um, salvos of missiles. These are weapon systems 
that are very deadly, very hard to find. And so that in itself creates a deterrence power that hopefully will help China make some of the right decisions in the future and not be too aggressive toward Taiwan or other countries in Asia. Now, one other small bit of China news before we move on to another part of the world is we talked about a few weeks ago that there'd be a new base in the Philippines as part of a deal that was recently signed that would be reopened, and the U.S. has already began um, began rehabbing that base, part of a uh, runway. And um, again, they're not really naming China. The U.S. isn't. They're saying it could be used for disaster assistance, etc., but it is clearly um, one of uh, five air bases that could be used to help deter China. And then in the last little bit of uh, just kind of a humorous thing, I will put in the Substack notes this unbelievable video from where Vladimir Putin is meeting with China's leader, Xi Jinping, and this isn't even newsworthy, and it may not amuse you as much as it did me, but it's only a minute long, and it's the most absurd video you've ever seen in your life. Vladimir Putin walks out these doors that are massive gold doors. They look like they're about... There's a soldier standing by them. They're about half as tall. So they're at least 15, 20 feet tall gold doors. He walks out it, and the China's leader walks out it, and they walk up down this massive, massively long room with huge ceilings. I'm talking like 20, 30 feet tall. You're in this massive room with paintings and gold everywhere. It's just an absurd-looking room. And then they meet, they turn, they walk, they shake hands. And it's like the definition of power. Look how powerful we are. We're in this unbelievably expensive room where the two powerful leaders, blah, blah, blah. And it's funny because to me, the video is like the, it's like a synonym, the perfect picture of like every dictatorship in the world where it's just like, we'll just blow you away with our military parades and our complete shallowness and huff puffery and you better be awed and afraid and it's just like, as an American, you watch it, and you're just like, man, I'm glad our leaders aren't like that. Because I think if you watch it as an American, you'd be like, wait, who paid for all this? Like, we have gold doors? Or, wait, we, we have gold doors? I mean, can you imagine if you went to the DMV or saw something in our White House that was that absurd? We would absolutely lose our minds. But in other countries... I guess you just look at it and you're just scared and you can't speak out or something. I'm not sure, but anyway, it's you almost would think the entire one-minute video is complete, um, I guess, humor, but it's not. They stage this unbelievable walkout together and there's these soldiers and I guess it's supposed to scare you, but it's, it looks pretty absurd, honestly. So I thought I'd throw that in as just a final thing. And we will move from there to... I want to share one quick little thing about Afghanistan. And this is kind of one of those stories that everyone could see this coming. I mean, you you can't keep up with any kind of foreign policy and not have seen this coming. So we obviously, the United States withdrew from Afghanistan last year. It was bloody. It was very controversial. Um, I'm sure you heard about it. I'm sure you have strong feelings about it. I, of course, have strong feelings about it. But we did leave and since that time, the um, U.S. intelligence, the commander in that area actually has said that ISIS in Afghanistan is six months away from a foreign attack capability where they could hit somewhere in Europe or something. 
And of course, that's one of the big reasons why I, I supported keeping a force of a couple thousand American soldiers in the country. So it wasn't that big of a burden for the military and might have helped keep a pro-Western government in place. It might not have, but it might have. It might have helped protect women's rights there. But it would have shown you know, Western resolve and it would have been a base from which if some of these terrorist groups were to start planning something, we could strike, but we don't have strike capability, at least on the ground in that area now. We could perhaps do something with drones or cruise missiles, but it's hard to do that when you don't have good intelligence, and it's hard to have good intelligence when you don't have nearby operating support bases. So at any rate, again, this is news that we all totally saw coming and I would imagine we we do have, I'm not trying to scare people or anything, we do have good intelligence. Um, we do have, I'm sure they will try to keep an eye on this. But um, it's just a little frustrating for those who who knew that when they said that we would still be able to have nearby allied forces and places we could operate from. Everyone looked at a map and was like, uh, no, not really. And unfortunately, we really don't, so... There you go. There's your update about Afghanistan, which is completely was completely predictable. All right. So before we get to some motivation and wisdom, I did want to share two quick tech news stories. I will not go into detail on either of them. So literally just about 30 seconds for both of them. One is America is currently looking at a way to recharge drones in mid-flight with what's called a whisper beam of energy. I'll leave a link to it if you want to research that, but I thought that was pretty cool. We know how cool it is to charge an iPhone or a um, cell phone with just sitting it on something, and they're now trying to find a way to recharge drones mid-flight, which would help ground troops who need eyes in the skies. So I've got a uh, link to an article from Task and Purpose if you want to check that out, and then I also have a link to a video from Wired, and it's about robotic exoskeletons and how you know we've seen these in sci-fi movies and video games and there's a company called Rome Robotics which has created a military leg brace that allows and there's a prior military person with a lot of weight on his back jumping off a pretty high area pretty high step top thing actually quite impressive with a lot of weight on his back and um and he has bad knees to boot and these robotic exoskeleton legs allow him to take that impact and not be hurt but they're also made to carry more weight and to prevent fatigue and so as we try to figure out the future of warfare and how much will be humans how much will be robots or how much will be humans that are made stronger by robotic stuff like exoskeletons and thermal imaging and cameras and who knows what all it'll be it's kind of one of those things to keep an eye on because if you're seeing it in public now it's something that um, the military may have developed even more than you think. So definitely wanted to share both those things because I am always intrigued by tech stuff. All right, so we're going to get to the motivation and wisdom part, but I always want to say this each week because I believe it strongly. I feel like all of us are very easily influenced, whether it's seeing someone run by on the street and then it's like, oh, I should go do exercise, or whether we're watching the commercial and seeing food, and suddenly we're very hungry. We all are very easily influenced, and so I want to do my small part to encourage each and every one of us that are out there, because I certainly know that I need it. So I hope that these items I'm about to share help you, and if they do, 
definitely tell a friend, share it with them as well. All right, so I'm just going to read these. You will find them in the Substack notes if you want to see the source. And I always say that these are great people to follow, but let's just begin. First one, don't waste your time with explanations. People only hear what they want to hear. It's pretty good, isn't it? Don't waste your time with explanations. People only want to hear what they want to hear. Next one. Don't give up on the person you are becoming. Again, don't give up on the person you are becoming. Next one. And by the way, I've put a little video in on this, but um, there's a short little video that uh, talks about bringing energy to your team, to your family, to those around you. It's about 50 seconds. You can watch it. It's from a guy by the name of John Gordon who does some motivational stuff. So great, great watch if you want to watch it. But the short of it is, is you got to be bringing energy. So with whatever team, your family, your church, whatever group you're with, make sure you're bringing energy. Next one. If you can't stop thinking about it, it matters. Again, if you can't stop thinking about it, it matters. Next one. This is about being unique and feeling like you don't have to conform with everyone around you. Believe in yourself. Stay in your own lane. There's only one you. Again, believe in yourself. Stay in your own lane. There's only one you. Next one. Work hard, but make sure you enjoy life too. Again, work hard, but make sure you enjoy life too. If you are a workaholic like me, sometimes you got to remind yourself of that. But... Most of the stuff I do that is work-wise is these are things that I enjoy doing. I would literally do them for free, so it's kind of nice to have that dream that you would work in without even getting paid. All right, next one. Give, but don't let it empty you. Again, give, but don't let it empty you. And you may hear a train in the background. I apologize for that. Next one. Never force, don't beg, and don't chase. What's meant for you will come for you. Again, that's never force, don't beg, and don't chase. What's meant for you will come for you. Next one. One day, all of these early mornings will make you a legend. Keep going. That's a good one, isn't it? One day, all of these early mornings will make you a legend. Keep going. Next one. Never give up on something you really want. It's difficult to wait, but it's more difficult to regret. It's pretty good, isn't it? Again, it is never give up on something you really want. It's difficult to wait, but it's more difficult to regret. Next one. Time heals everything. Time corrects everything. Time is the solution to every problem. A lot of things can happen with time. All that has to be is there needs to be intention there. That's pretty good. Again, time heals everything. Time corrects everything. Time is the solution to every problem. A lot of things can happen with time. All that has to be there is the intention. Next one. It's about who stays, not who promised. And I absolutely loved that when I first saw it. It's about who stays, not who promised. So many people talk big, do they not? But it is much easier to say than it is to do. Next one. Just a short one. Don't give up on the person you are becoming. Again, don't give up on the person you are becoming. Next one, quite similar to that one. Small progress is still progress. Again, small progress is still progress. So stop beating yourself up. 
Next one. You have only two choices in life. Live in regret or fight for what you want. Choose wisely. Again, this one was you only have two choices in life. Live in regret, fight for what you want. Choose wisely. Next one. Make life fun. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Again, make life fun. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. Next one. Things don't just happen. You make them happen. Again, things don't just happen. You make them happen. Next one. Today is the oldest you'll ev- you've ever been and the youngest you'll ever be again. So live life to the fullest today and have no regrets. I want one of you got to think on a second. So again, today is the oldest you've ever been. And it's also the youngest you'll ever be again. So live life to the fullest today and have no regrets. Next one. I bet you've heard this one before, but it's still a good one. Hard work will always beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. Again, hard work will always beat talent when talent doesn't work hard. Next one. In three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. Ah, that one's deep. Again, in three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. Next one. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Again, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. That is actually from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Someone shared that. Next one. Trust your process. Patience is power. Again, trust your process. Patience is power. Next one. This one hits home for me. Sensitive people either love deeply or they regret deeply. There really is no middle ground because they live in passionate extremes. That is me. Sensitive people either love deeply or they regret deeply. There really is no middle ground because they live in passionate extremes. And that applies to more in my life than that. I don't live in moderation. I'm either 110 mile per hour, sleeping very little, waking up early, waking up or staying up late, working on some project, or I'm like totally depressed thinking I'll never make it. (laughs) I'm either at 110 mile an hour or I'm stuck in park with the engine smoking and on fire. I've learned to get a little bit more... Uh, moderation in my life, but I am not good at that. I am usually, and 90 plus percent of the time, I'm 110 mile per hour. So I'm usually bouncing off the walls and I drive everyone crazy. Next one. Don't let the fear of the time it will take to accomplish something stand in the way of your doing it. The time will pass anyway. We might just as well put the passing time to the best possible use. Good one. Next one. Don't let yourself be controlled by three things. People, Money or past experiences. That's a deep one and it's got a lot of truth, doesn't it? Don't let yourself be controlled by three things. People, money, or past experiences. Next one. Some people are lost in their fires. Others are forged in them. That was deep, isn't it? Some people are lost in their fires. Others are forged in them. If you are going through something hard right now, do not let it burn you up. Let it forge you. And I know that because I am, with the passing of my mom and trying to do the best to help my dad as he deals with this transition, there are some times when I feel lost in the fire and I am trying to let it forge me and learn to lean on um, my faith and the people around me to help me get through it. So... Again, some people are lost in their fires, others are forged in them.
I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a -a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. Can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. Finally, I should mention my books. I've written 11 of them. I've written a CIA Marine Sniper series. I've written a detective series. I've written a private investigator series. I've written a crammed, action-packed Western. I've written a motivational self-help book. And I've even written two realistic war novels, one about World War II, one about Afghanistan. You can find all of those books on Amazon by simply searching my name, Stan R. Mitchell, or you can find a link to them in the Substack notes. Again, thanks so much, guys, for joining us this week. And with that, I am out.